You know, I don't know a single human being who likes to be vulnerable. No one likes to be, feel like they're in a place of weakness or a place of exposure. Nobody, nobody wants that. All of us put on different kinds of masks to hide to make sure that we're sort of protected. We might, we might try to hide behind a, some sort of a human authority structure or we might try to hide behind our, our, our physical prowess, our athletic abilities, or we might try to hide behind some sort of intellectual ability, you know, our ability to, to think or discuss. Or we might be like the false teachers in Corinth who tried to hide behind their self-assumed kind of religious activities. Well, we do this and we do that, and that's why we're not weak the way Paul's weak. That's why we're not vulnerable the way Paul's vulnerable. But Paul, in the situation, as we've been talking about in 2 Corinthians, especially since chapter 10, Paul is wanting to be a bit more aggressive in confronting the wrong ideas that the false teachers in Corinth have. He's wanting to, to make sure that the Corinthian believers aren't sucked into this well, this, this negative stuff, the stuff that's going to pull them away from simple faith in Jesus. And so what, what he's doing here is he's, he's having to, once again, as he's done lots of times, affirm his apostleship. And so we saw last week that in doing so, he took a long time to share about the difficulties he went through and that his credibility as an apostle, as a sent one of Jesus, was shown in the difficulties that he went through, the difficulties that he endured. And so when we get to chapter 12, he then begins to, to start at least to talk about this vision he had, this experience that he has. Now, I know you might be thinking, well, wait a second, John, he speaks in the third person. He says he knows a man who, but the context makes it pretty clear that Paul's actually talking about himself. And one of the reasons he's doing this is because the false teachers that were in Corinth put a lot of weight behind visions and revelations and and sort of mystical spiritual experiences. And so Paul's kind of going, you know what, I could boast. I, I could show you, I could share with you some of my experiences as well. But what he really wants to do is he really wants to glory in weakness. He wants to share with these guys, he wants these guys to get it. The fact that there's something uniquely valuable about weakness, about vulnerability. There's something important about that, that God wants us to experience. The Bible talks about, in the book of Romans chapter 8, it talks about how, how the, the creation has been subjected to futility or brokenness or vanity, but not without hope. That God has allowed all of us in one way, shape, or form to experience weakness, to experience vulnerability. And Paul says, I want to glory in this. Now, the first thing Paul wants to do is he, in, in beginning to kind of share with this, uh, about his revelation, it's interesting, he, he says in verse 1, it's not going to be profitable. It's doubtless not profitable for me to boast. Paul didn't want to boast, boast about his visions and revelations. He, he didn't want to talk about it. One, he knew that he'd be tempted towards pride, as any of us would be. And I, I, can, I can share this in a very small way. I can share this experience. I've had a similar experience here. There's been times when people have accused me of things and have come against me as a church leader, which is nothing compared to what Paul was, but coming against me as a church leader, and you kind of feel the sense that you have to defend yourself. You have to say, this is well, or this is where I'm at. 
You want to just say, okay, I'm not going to do anything. God's got my back. But you feel trapped almost. But you don't want to do that because you also know if you start talking about yourself and bragging about yourself, you're going to just get puffed up. And Paul's saying, I don't want to do this. It's not going to be helpful for me. And and it's interesting because Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, records at least four times when Paul had these supernatural visions of Christ, revelations of Christ. But Paul didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want to go there. I think part of the reasons as well is that that Paul understood that if someone talks about a, a vision or a revelation, it can be easily misunderstood misinterpreted. They're quite, they can be quite subjective at times, though Paul received revelation in the sense of true doctrine that he did share with the church that became authoritative. Still, he knew if he talked about, I had this experience or I had that experience, those subjective experiences could be twisted out of shape. They could be contorted into something they're not meant to be. And so Paul didn't want to do this. He didn't want to share this. So when he begins to share it in verses 2 to 4, he really, he describes the reality of the vision, but he kind of keeps holding back on the details. Do, do, you, do you feel that? You get the sense that when Paul describes this, again, speaking in the third person, he's not even sure what state he was in when he had the vision. He says, was this in the body, out of the body? I don't know. Was it, was it a situation where somehow my body left, my, uh, my spirit left my body and I was pulled up into this, the third heaven? Now, in case you don't know what that means, Third heaven would be, first heaven would be kind of the atmosphere where the birds fly, so to speak. Second heaven would be the, the realm of the stars and the sun. Third heaven would be the place that God sits. So the, the, they weren't naive uh, about uh, the fact there's a separation between creation and creator. Don't think that they thought there's another space up there somewhere. But there was the reality that that's how they would kind of view the surroundings. So in other words, third heaven is the place where God dwells. So Paul didn't know. Paul, he thought, okay, did I just, did I actually go to that place? Did I kind of go to heaven and come back? Go to paradise and come back? Or did I just have another vision? I don't even know. But Paul even talks about the, the fact that there was, there, he heard inexpressible words there that it, was not, it would be not lawful for a man to utter. So not only was he not sure of the state, he he wasn't even allowed to share the content. So he's in this place where he's saying, okay, this really happened. There was this dynamic spiritual experience that I had, but it's real, but, you know, I don't even want to get into the details. In fact, he says in verse 5, you know, of such a one, of a person who had that experience, sure, I would boast of that person, but I'm only going to boast in my infirmities. We talked about that word last week, didn't we? My weaknesses, my feebleness. That's all I really want to talk about. In fact, when he says, I desire to boast, but I'm not going to, I'm going to refrain, he says, I'm going to speak the truth. He says, I want to be known by what you see in me, that is, how I follow Christ, and what you, notice, hear from me. You see, Paul didn't want to be known by, as this person, like, wow, there's Paul, he's a spiritual giant. What a rocking guy that he is. He's so full of the Spirit. He's done all these radical things. No, Paul says, look, if you want to know who I am, just know that I'm just a follower of Jesus, and it's Jesus that I want you to hear. In fact, he's going to say, we're going to see in a couple weeks, where he talks about how Christ was crucified in weakness. And so he, he, he spoke of Christ as this crucified Messiah. In fact, Paul wrote about this the first time he wrote to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, listen to this. Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. 
but we preach Christ crucified. Now, when he says the Jews request a sign, remember these false teachers were probably Judaizers. They were probably uh, Jewish uh, professors or people who professed faith in Jesus as Messiah, but they said you've got to become not just a follower of Jesus, but you've got to become a Jew first. And they put this pressure on the Gentiles to become Jewish before they became Christians. They were Judaizers. And they put a lot of emphasis on signs and wonders. So if you remember when Jesus was doing his ministry and, of course, was showing how he had all authority over sickness and death and nature uh, and demons, he, he did many signs and wonders. They would keep kind of say, okay, look, you've got to prove yourself to us. Do another sign. Do another sign. Do another sign. And these Jews uh, that were in Corinth, these false converts, really false Jews, these guys that were in Corinth, they were wanting the same kind of things. Come on, Paul, show us about the kind of signs that you can do. You know what's ironic about this as well is we're going to learn tonight in, in Acts chapter 19 that God did unusual miracles through Paul. I mean, stuff that he did through nobody else. And yet Paul wouldn't do that. Paul says, no, here's what I did. I want to preach Christ and Him crucified. He says, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block. Sorry. To the Jews, a stumbling block, to the Greeks, foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, notice, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and notice this, the weakness of God is stronger than men. So Paul says when he was with the Corinthians, I was determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Weakness was a huge part of the message that Paul preached. These guys are saying, come on, Paul, show us how strong you are. Show us how spiritual you are. And Paul says, you know what? He starts to go there and he says, no, I'm not going there. Because what I want to do is I want to preach to you, I want to make known to you the simple message of the cross. That's what I want to be known as, a messenger of the cross, Christ crucified. That God would relate to us in our weakness, that God would come in the form of man, a vulnerable human being, and suffer, and still live a perfectly sinless life, and die a perfectly atoning death, and raise from the dead three days later so that we could have life in Him. Weakness was the message he preached. Now, when we're talking about this, and, and as obviously we're going we're gonna to see in a minute, Paul, he talks about how he glories, he even takes pleasure in his affirmities, his weaknesses. We don't want to get this idea that Paul was some sort of a, a masochist, like he liked pain or he thought it was fun to always be weak or vulnerable. No, what he experienced was seriousness. Their weakness was a difficulty that Paul actually did experience. Look at verse 7. And Paul says, and, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. In other words, what he's referring to in the, in the above verses as well as what the other things that Luke records in the book of Acts. He says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, there's lots of debate about what this thorn in the flesh is. But here's what you need to understand. Paul knew what the thorn was. He knew exactly what it was. Now, because this is a thorn in the flesh, I think it's pretty clear it was something physical in nature. 
It was a thorn in his flesh. If it was a thorn in his sinful nature, that wouldn't make much sense because he knew that Christ is the one who was crucified to deal with his sinful nature. This is a thorn in the flesh. This is a, a physical, some sort of a physical infirmity. I lean towards the idea that was something wrong with his eyes. But there's a physical infirmity that Paul had, this thorn in the flesh. But Paul makes it clear here as well that this thorn in the flesh, it came through, it came through the instrument of the enemy. It was, it, was, it was connected to this messenger of Satan. So there was something demonic connected to it. Does that mean that the, the, the demon caused the illness? Could be. Or does that mean that basically the, the demon was provoking Paul through this illness? That's probably more likely. But there's this reality that Paul knew that this was, it was physical in nature. It came through the instrument of the enemy. But also, listen, he says, this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan, was given to buffet me. You know what that means? To buffet means to be struck repeatedly with the fist. Paul says, I was getting beat down by this thing. He felt that. He felt from this physical ailment that he had that the enemy was just beating him down with this thing. That's not a pleasant experience. It is difficult to get beat down. One of the things that Adam White talked about when he first started doing his, his training to be a pastor, he began to experience all kinds of, not just self-doubt, but doubts about the Lord and wrestling with, is, you know, what does this really mean? Can I really do this? And, you know, and just, does God even love me? And all these heavy, heavy things. And he's coming in my office going, what's going on? And I'm like, well, you have an enemy. And you're not going to make him happy by saying, God, I want to serve you full on. There was a beating taking place. The enemy was beaten on him. Now, God used that, as we're going to see in a second, uh, with Paul as well. But that's what it felt like. It was a difficult circumstance. I guarantee you, if you talk to Adam about it, he's not going to go, oh, it was lovely. Such a joyous time. It was hard. It was difficult. And Paul says, this is what I experienced. But he also noticed, he also knew that God had allowed it. Because when he says, listen, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, it was gifted to me. That God gave this to me. God allowed it. Why? Why did God do this? Why did God allow this, this horrible circumstance, this, this physical weakness that the enemy would use to beat Paul down with emotionally as well as probably physically painfully, why would God allow this? This is why. Listen, because God did not want Paul to fall into the same pride that Satan fell into. Isn't that ironic? I, I find that fascinating that God would say, okay, the enemy who fell because of pride, I'm going to allow him to attack you to a certain level. I'm going to allow him to beat on you to a certain level so you don't fall into the same sin he fell into. Check this out. This is what the, how the Bible describes the fall of Lucifer. It's referring to a, a certain king, but it parallels, it, it names the king as Lucifer, and it parallels the fall of Satan. Listen. Isaiah chapter 14 says, For Lucifer had said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my, my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high, the five I wills of Lucifer. 
Now, you need to know something about the enemy and how he works. Because even though God allows him to do this and is, is working a good thing in Paul, the enemy still desired to do something bad. And here's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy is not looking for people to worship him. He's looking for people to worship themselves. I will be in this place. Now, when you're in the position of a guy like the Apostle Paul, and God's using you in some pretty radical, supernatural ways, man, unusual miracles, lots of people getting saved. I mean, you're, you're, you're basically explaining all the New Testament doctrine. Most of what we, we hold our faith to is because of what Paul received from Jesus and wrote down and explained to us. Yeah, we get some from John, and we get some from Peter, and we get some from a few other guys who wrote some things down, but the meat, most of the meat that we get that our doctrine is built on came through this vessel, Paul. The revelation came through Paul. You can imagine the temptation to be puffed up. So what does God do? God says, okay, you have an enemy. He hates your guts. He wants to beat you down. I'm going to let him beat you down this much. And in doing so, it's going to keep you from falling into pride. Now, do we ever think that way? When we're going through a really difficult time, when we feel like we're getting the beat down, do you ever think about what God might be trying to keep us from? Do you ever feel like, you know, when you have something, you're, you're, you're hoping that if, why, why God, why won't he just heal me of this? Or why won't he just provide this for me? Or why won't he just do this for me? I don't get it. Why won't he do this? You ever thought about what he's trying to keep you from? What that might do to your heart if that came to pass? And Paul's saying, this is what happened. The Lord allowed this. The Lord did this. He experiences difficulty. It's interesting because he says, even says in verse 8, he says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. So Paul, even as he's going through this, is thinking, Lord, what are you doing? In fact, some commentators say that when it says he prayed three times, it doesn't mean he prayed like once, twice, and then a third time. It's, it's, a, it's a, a Hebrew-ism for that he was praying constantly about it, morning, noon, and night. He was constantly saying, God, when is this over? God, when are my eyes going to be fixed? Or whatever the case was, God, when is this going to happen? Lord, please, I'm trying to serve your people. I'm trying to be obedient to you. Can't you make it a little easier for me, Lord? Come on, please, when are you going to do something here? This is important for us to understand because Paul, in, in, in talking about the glory of our weakness, he's not saying that those weaknesses, those infirmities, those sicknesses, those buffetings are pleasant. He's not, saying it's, he's not saying it's pleasant. And it's important because, listen, sometimes we can be too trite. We can be too quick to other believers to say, hey, you know, God's just doing a good work, man. All things work together for good. Bam, bam, bam. And we kind of throw the gloves on. We kind of start throwing the fist because what we need to do maybe just be sit there and quiet and just go, man, this is hard. I don't know what God's doing. Paul experienced this weakness. This was a serious, difficult thing for him. But I love the fact that as he cries out to God, and let me say this too, that is the right thing for us to do. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, pour out your heart before the Lord at all times. The Bible says, humble yourself. One Peter says this, humble yourself 
under the mighty hand of God. Under the mighty hand of God, humble yourself. And how do you do that? By casting all your cares on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. He commands us to do this. He wants us to pray. Guys, please don't give up in your prayers. Please don't get lazy in your prayer life. Please do better than I do with your prayer life. Take time daily to get alone with God and say, God, here I am. Here's my junk. Not, here I am, God. I'm doing my daily thing. I'm even better than John, the pastor. But God, here I am with all my weaknesses, all my failings, all my needs, all my distresses, i got to give them to you because there's nowhere else to go. That's what God's calling us to. And I love this because when Paul does this, does God stay silent? No. No. See, what happens often is we give up praying because we pray specifically, which we should. You should always pray specifically. If you want just generic answers, just pray generically. If you want specific answers, pray specifically. But we pray specifically, but then when God doesn't answer the way we specifically asked him to, we go, ah, forget it. Prayer doesn't work. God's not listening to me. Instead of saying, God, can't you just take this thing away? What is it you're trying to do? Why is this happening to me? And then what does God say to Paul? God says to him, he gives him the answer. And this answer, guys, listen, this is the secret to Paul's strength. He says to him, listen, verse nine, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now I'm emphasizing the word my there twice because it's emphasized in the original language. It's, this, it's the Greek word ego and it's only used when it's emphasized. It could be my exclamation point underscore, underscore, underscore. This is what he's wanting to say. He's saying this, and God says this to Paul because he wants Paul to understand something. He's emphasizing whose grace it is, whose strength it is, because when you understand whose grace it is and whose strength it is, you understand what grace and strength actually are. So when he says, my grace is sufficient to you, or sufficient for you, he's defining what that grace is. So we talk about God's grace, what are we talking about? We're talking about unmerited favor, right? The fact that God favors us, he, he chooses us, He honors us, He commits to us, and we don't deserve any of it. We never can, we never will. That's, that's grace. But He's also talking about this divine enabling that God gives us a strength we don't have. God helps us to do what we can't do for ourselves. So when he says, my grace, he's not just talking about the favor of the gods or circumstances being a little bit better, so grace in some generic sense. He's saying to Paul, Paul, listen, this is me. My grace is sufficient even in the midst of this weakness. My grace, think about my grace. Think about the grace that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it, guys. Think about what God has done. Think about what happened. The very people, listen, talking about undeserved favor, the very people who yelled, crucify him, crucify him, the very people that made sure that the Romans killed Jesus on the cross, those very people, what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them. Do they deserve forgiveness? Absolutely not. 
Do you deserve forgiveness? Absolutely not. But that's how gracious he is. That's why Paul also says in Romans chapter 8, if, he, if, he, if God did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how, how, I can't say it. how will he not with him also freely give us all things? The standard of God's generosity, the standard of God's grace, the standard of God's willingness to be committed to you is Jesus Christ and him crucified. What else do you need to prove that he's for you? That he is that gracious. That's the grace of God. The grace that we show each other hopefully reflects the grace of God. But let's be honest, it's pretty minute. Somebody burns me, I think, oh, okay, uh, I forgive you. Someone burns me again, I think, well, you know, I forgive you, but I don't trust you anymore. <laughs> Someone burns me a third time, we're going to have some words. Because my grace only goes so far. But Paul, didn't, G, or, I'm sorry, Jesus didn't say to Paul, hey, grace is sufficient. He said, my grace grace is sufficient. And the same with strength. He doesn't say, hey, strength is enough. Just be strong. Come on, Paul. Suck it up. Pull up your bootstraps. Come on, be a man. He didn't do that. Jesus says to Paul, my strength, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Where do we see that with Jesus? Again, on the cross, don't we? Jesus is crucified. What's he doing? He's being crucified by evil men. Men want him dead. They chose to make it happen. He, they wanted him dead. They did this. And what happens? In doing so, in, in, in submitting to that pain, what's Jesus doing? Saving the very people who crucified him. Saving us. Think about that. My strength is made perfect, manifest Perfect through weakness. So he's saying to Paul, listen, Jesus is saying to Paul, here's the secret, Paul. This weakness that you have, this difficult, physical messenger of Satan that is buffeting you and beating you down, this is going to reveal to you the sufficiency of my grace and my strength. Can I ask you a very serious question? And I mean this. Do you want to have a better understanding of, of God's grace towards you? Seriously. No, no I, I mean that. I'm not just saying that. I mean, do you, right now, as you're sitting here, do you want to understand how gracious God actually is? Do you want to experience and know how much grace God has for you? What about how much strength God can give you? Do you want to experience that? Do you want to know that in, in your not just to, not just in your head, but you just you know in your bones that that his strength is there? Do you want to know that? Then guess what? He's going to allow you to have a thorn in the flesh. And we believe God still heals today, and I mean that like we believe that God still supernaturally heals today. We, we obviously God has blessed people with wisdom, and and so we we use doctors and believe God uses natural sciences, but we do believe God supernaturally heals today. We've seen, I've seen God supernaturally heal. So we believe that still happens. But you know why we, one of the reasons we don't believe God heals every time? We don't believe that because we believe that God sometimes wants us not to be healed. Why? So that we can know His grace and His strength. So we can know that.
The secret of Paul's strength was the fact that he had this weakness. Guys, you know, this is what the Bible says. Listen, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul writes this. He says, it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do you realize that God's working you? If, if you're a believer in Jesus, guess who worked in you so that you would want to start thinking and believing on Jesus? God did. If you are saying, I need to start walking with Jesus, I want to know him better and walk with him better. If you're doing that, guess who's working in you to do that? He is. God is. God's working in you. Do you guys realize that's even why God calls you to obedience in the first place? God doesn't need your help to save you. He includes you so that you can see how he works. I wonder if any of you have had that experience where you know God's calling you to obey. You know, you, maybe you've read something in the scripture and God just keeps convicting you about you need to be obedient in this thing. And you keep resisting it and you keep rebelling and you have to, you know, oh, I'm sorry God, you apologize and then you resist it again. And finally when you say, okay, I'm gonna just walk in obedience to this. You are Lord Jesus, I gotta just do this. And you walk in obedience and what happens? You go, gosh, Lord, that's such the best way to go. I'm so glad I did it your way, God. This is why God calls us to obey. He wants to reveal himself to us through that obedience. That's the blessing that he has in it. It's not us adding to our salvation or even keeping our salvation. It's us experiencing our salvation. You guys follow me on that? So, look what else he says in verse 9. Therefore, Paul says, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest in, uh, on me, upon me. The power of Christ may rest upon me. So this weakness, it, it, it revealed the sufficiency of God's grace to Paul, but also, listen, it kept him dependent upon Christ's power. I mean, he, he had the trust that Jesus was working through him because he knew he didn't have what it takes to do this. You guys might not, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but when I was a, what we call a freshman in high school, so I, I was about 15, 14, 15, I had to do an oral report. It was worth a big chunk of my grade. And so I studied hard and I put this thing together and I stood up before the class of about 20, 30 people and I began to give this oral report. And I mumbled and slurred so badly that, that not only were the people getting annoyed, the teacher was getting annoyed. We can't hear you. Please be clear. Guys in the back, speak up, man. You know, that kind of stuff. You can you imagine what that would do to someone like me? <laughs> I have anger issues, in case you didn't know. And it was just a horrible experience. And I thought, I am never, ever doing anything like that again. I don't care. I'll flunk out of school. I don't care. But then God calls me to speak. And it's hard because I still, I, I feel like I sound like a drunk person. I slur all the time. It's a wonderful thing to know Jesus. What's in that cup? <laughs> but I just, I can't help it. And why? Because this, the weakness, the nasally Kermit the Frog voice and the slurring words, the weakness makes me say, okay, Lord, you're going to have to do something here because there's no way that this is going to work for anybody unless you do something here. This is why God does it. This is why God called me to England. Instead of being in a place where I felt utterly confident that I could make an impact, go to England. I, I can't do anything there, Lord. Exactly. 
go there. Because I want my power to rest on you. I don't want your ability to come through. Interesting. Paul says this also. This is uh, Colossians 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 11. The ESV says this. May you be strengthened, Paul prays, with all power. Notice, according to His glorious might. For what reason? For all endurance and patience with joy. Paul prays that the Colossians would, would know, would experience the power of Almighty God so they can endure and be patient through their difficulties and still have joy, that God would empower them to do so. Notice, listen, Jesus says this. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, when, it says, when Jesus had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, notice he says, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but who, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This is what we're called to. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. It means we recognize I have no allegiance to myself because I have no ability in myself to do what God's called me to do. So the only way I can follow Jesus is to say, Lord, I can't do it, but if you say to do it, I'm gonna do it by faith. I'm going to believe that if you say, I lay down my life, I'll resurrect it again. God, I'm going to come in complete weakness and inability and believe that you're going to show me what it means to follow you. That's what he calls us to. But you know what else it did? This weakness, Paul's secret strength, it also motivated him to imitate Christ's character. Look at verse 10. We're almost done. Therefore, Paul says, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. Why? Listen, for Christ's sake. Now, Paul, like Jesus, humbly submitted to these sufferings this thorn in the flesh, as, as well as all the things that we read last week, all the things that Paul went through. He submitted, okay, God, if this is what you have for me, it's what you have for me, I'm gonna submit to these things. I'm gonna humble myself before you and just say, okay, this is what you got, this is what you got. In doing so, he was demonstrating the character of Christ. Paul talks about this in Philippians. He talks about the character of Christ in Philippians. He writes, Philippians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he says, that Christ humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of cross, the death of the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name. All right, God, if you want me to go through this, I know that you're gonna, you're gonna exalt me someday. You're gonna raise me up. Paul talks about this. I didn't put it on the screen for you, but he talks about this Later on in Philippians chapter 3, he says that he, his one desire in life was to know Christ. He says, I want to, I wanna, I wanna have the, know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be conformed to his death. That's what he wanted. This is what we're called to. There's, a, there's a, a fellowship, a closeness, a oneness with Jesus that we get when we do what Paul's talking about here. We begin the glory in our weakness. We begin to humbly submit to whatever junk God's going to allow in our lives. 
That's why Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8. He says, for God's spirit joins with our spirit. This is the New Living Translation. I like the way it paraphrases this. Listen, for God's spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are God's children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Do you understand? Do you see the connection there? There's no option given. That if we're going to be adopted into God's family, if we're going to put our faith in what Christ did for us in his death and resurrection, if we're going to pick up our cross daily and follow after Jesus, you know what that means? It means future glory, but it also means present suffering. And you know why it means present suffering? Because in his weakness, in our weakness, he's strong. Paul says at the close of verse 10, we're going to close with this. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now as the music team makes their way back up and uh, the people who are going to pass out communion go to the back to get ready to pass out the elements of communion. I want you to think about something. Paul here is glorying in weakness. He is declaring the unique value that weakness has in our lives to help us trust Jesus, follow Jesus, be like Jesus. You know, the scripture talks about this. The Bible says, listen, it should be on the screen, Colossians chapter three, verse three, Paul writes, for you died, that says you died with Christ, if if your faith's in Christ, you've died with Christ, and your life is hidden, notice, hidden with Christ in God. Do you know when we are the most vulnerable? When we feel like there's some sort of a safety net around us that allows us to be so. That's what's great about marriage. What's great about a good marriage is that you can be vulnerable with your spouse. You can open up. It's still hard. Sarah and I have been married for almost 25 years and there's still times when she'll say little things or do little things and I get really insecure and worried. Sarah's probably more secure than me, so maybe it doesn't happen to her as much, but um, it still can happen. We can feel sort of insecure. We can feel sort of vulnerable, even after 25, almost 25 years of good marriage. But when there's a hiding place, when there's a safe place to be, we, we, we realize, okay, that weakness isn't so bad. That weakness actually can even help us have a better relationship. And it's not just this position that we have in Christ. We do have this position where our life is hidden with Christ. But listen, it's a practical reality that we're called to pursue. The psalmist says it this way, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the wing. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and him I will trust. Do you know why we can glory in weakness? Because Jesus is our hiding place. That we can go to him as weak as we are and we can say, Lord, I want to hide under the shadow of your wing. And he assures us that we're his. His spirit bears witness to our spirit that we're his children. And you know what happens? Listen, he says, all that weakness is simply just to show you more about myself. To allow you to be closer to me. Some of you are here today and you're, you're in that place where you're just going, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed that God would take away this weakness. 
God's just saying to you, listen, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And he's wanting you just to believe that. He's wanting you to draw near to him. He's wanting to use that weakness to bring glory to himself, to show you something about himself, to show others something about himself through your weaknesses. Maybe what you're struggling with most is just having simple faith. Maybe your weakness is you feel like you're just too bad to be forgiven. You've sinned too much. You've done too many wrong things. You don't think that God could actually accept you. Listen. Think about the people that crucified Jesus. What did he say to them? Father, forgive them. They don't know what to do. He offered forgiveness to the very people that crucified him. Your sin crucified Jesus. Your sin is not so much that Christ didn't pay for on the cross that he can't forgive you. Maybe your greatest weakness is you think you're strong. Hey, I, I'm okay. I, I don't really need God's help. I got this. You know, maybe you people are weak and you need God's help. I don't really need God's help. You need to recognize that's your weakness. Maybe your self-sufficiency is your weakness. It's a weakness. Take it to God. I'll say that as one self-sufficient person to another, someone who wants to trust in himself by nature, I want to prove I can do it, I constantly have to go to God and say, God, I'm sorry, I, I keep trying to, to pick this up and do it myself. I, I'm sorry, I, I need you. 